water memory. Have you guys heard of this? I have. It's completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It sounds something like from a horrible B-rated sci-fi book. Not even a movie. What water memory? Yes, maybe. Was that kind of like Lacroix, where it's like shipped next to a banana? Is how they get their flavoring? I yeah, maybe that's how Lacroix gets its flavoring. Is someone yelled lime <laughs> really loud, <laughs> really loud inside the warehouse while they were yeah. brewing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about right. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast where your hosts sample a different scotch each season while we dive into current social, political, and economic issues each episode. This is Scotch and Socialism. Well, listeners, welcome to Scotch and Socialism, the podcast where your hosts sample a different scotch every season and talk about well, kind of whatever the hell we want to talk about that day. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Jacob, your D.A.R.E. graduate. D.A.R.E. graduate? This sure, is why not? Griff, your resident critic. What is a D.A.R.E. graduate? D.A.R.E. D- yeah, like, I know, you know the, the I'm familiar with the like, yeah, I didn't know there was the like. Whole... Oh, yeah, they, they had like graduations and everything. I, I actually, I had a little card that, that said, you know, I mm-hmm. participated and completed the, the training thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they were huge, huge in the 90s. Huge. It's come back, Just you know. say no. No. Yeah. No. Probably Apparently from... with better curriculum, but I don't know. And anyways, I am Russ, your resident non-drug user. That so. really paints me and Jake into a sticky corner. We'll get Defining out of by negation, sir. Fine. <laughs> Are we going to have fun with this? Where is that rhetorician cowbell? <laughs> I know, right? Ding, 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 ding. One of these days we'll actually grab it. We need to get the pad working is what we need to do. I, fully work is so much more fun, though. I know. That's true. It's very analog. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, Russ is a, a, a non-connoisseur of... I'm a sheltered child. Substances. Uh, in I some wouldn't ways. say that. Sheltered is <laughs> sheltered is definitely relative. Um, True. Yeah. This week we're talking about drugs. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Don't kids. do drugs. Legalize it, man. Wait. L- don't do drugs. <laughs> you can advocate for legalization, <laughs> but not promote the substance. Yes. Like, I'd see, and that's I think we'll just well we'll, we'll just dive straight. There you go. Into yeah, it. that sounds fantastic. Let's I start think there. that's that's one of the one of the misconceptions, and I know that certain. Certain political parties, certain certain corners of political parties, will really just lump all consumers of substances into one mm-hmm. and say that oh well, legalizing it is promoting it or is tolerating it or blah blah blah. It's really not. There's a huge difference between, you know, we legalized alcohol back in the 20s, but we don't promote it anymore as like a health remedy. Now, obviously. Alcoholic beverage companies do promote it, but you know, there's curricula, there's material, there's research out there that shows excessive consumption is bad for you as fairly obvious. Well, and I think that's a a huge thing is going back to, you know, Jacob, what you said, the whole dare thing, right? Mm -hmm. It really did kind of lump everything together. It it was, you know, don't do drugs and alcohol. That was kind of their thing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And it wasn't a, I, I feel like a lot of the 1990s, like 
PSA educational forums like Dare. This is your brain um, on drugs. Yeah, that that kind of stuff. It's actually yeah. not. Where it's really just scare tactics. Yes. Um, and for the get, most part, right. And not to get too far off topic, but I mean, even like health and and sexuality mm-hmm. back in the '90s was very much you know very abstinence driven. You know, don't do it. It's going to be bad. Uh, you know, you'll get something. You'll catch it. You'll die. You know, it's a, gateway drugs. Yeah, it's all very prohibition oriented. It is prohibitive. Well, and what's interesting now, right? So we've lived through an era where, you know, marijuana is a gateway drug. Don't do marijuana because it'll, it'll lead to harder stuff and you'll end up in the gutter somehow and never quite connected to that when I was a kid. But now it's legal in some states. In some Most, states. Or actually. Is it? Well, what is legal, substance are we talking about? Cannabis? Cannabis, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I, I don't know the list off the top of my head, but there are quite a few states where it is recreationally legal. You can mm-hmm. purchase it just like you do beer from a liquor store or grocery store. Um, here in Washington, we have dispensaries, obviously, where you have to go in, show your ID, blah, blah, blah. Um, do they, are they able to bank with anybody yet, or are they still having they to handle everything with cash? I think they still have to do everything with cash yeah, because do. of all banks. Well, any federally. FDIC. Yeah, which is bank. going to be anything. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. necessarily, though. You can have a, a bank that is not FDIC insured. It's questionable. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. risky. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't trust it. But it is possible. And, I, and I'm wondering how many have sprung up to meet the need. It does of these seem kind to be like a, a great um, business proposition. Sure. Yeah, it is. And I was even reading an article about it about a year and a half ago about a startup bank, basically that was insured through VC backers. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what happened with it, but and that's, that is a symptom of a larger problem. Kind of like, you know, when we're talking about all of these campaigns, these anti-drug campaigns and things like that. Um, the big issue is that they don't come from a place of knowledge and literacy because all of these drugs that are on schedule one, which is heroin, uh, magic mushrooms, LSD, marijuana. These are like, you know, kind of quote unquote, the worst of the worst. Sure. Keeping in mind the schedules were made in the 1970. When a substance is on Schedule 1, it's thought of as having no known medicinal use and a high potential for abuse or misuse. The really pernicious thing that does is it prevents universities or think tanks or labs from researching them. Yeah, and I I definitely want to come back to that as well um, because I've got like personal investment in that side. There is one federally recognized cannabis research lab and it's in Mississippi. Interesting. I have no idea how that happened. What, what a bizarre yeah. location. That was where it started. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and when you have one play, I think it's at a, I think it's, it's not an old miss. It's at, it is at a, a public organization, sure. it's a school or, or health center or something. Um, when you have one place that is your only source of research, you're not going to get your research. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the, their methodology, methodology might be fine, but you're not going to get a broad spectrum of scientific right. foundation. Right. Just as, research. just as, you know, good business and economics thrive with competition. Exactly. Research also kind of does the same thing. No, it does. You need to have an economy of research and limiting cannabis research to one place. Now it may have changed since things are starting to loosen up a little bit. Um, I really hope they take, I really hope they just get rid of the schedules altogether, but I hope at least that they would change the schedules so that research would at least be permitted. Right. That way we could actually have intelligent policy-based conversations about treatment, you know, Mm -hmm. effects, 
the economic side of things, the socioeconomic side of things, because yeah. it's a huge conversation. The international drug trade is $465 billion a year business. Mm-hmm. It's huge. For something that's that lucrative, even if it's filthy lucre, and for us not to be able to research it and understand it, at least how can you reasonably plan to address it if you don't understand more of the nuances about what's going on? Right. And it's, I mean, it, it kind of looping back into the original, like just the idea of decriminalization, the, the reason why I brought this topic up when we were talking over chat was um, there were five, uh, yeah, five staffers um, that were fired from the white house um, Mm. because of past marijuana use. And it was the press secretary, Jen Palat or Zasky. Saki. I don't know. Sorry. Madam press secretary. Madam press secretary um, said that it was partially related to previous marijuana use, which I, I don't know how much that means. And there were several others who had been, pushed to working from home or remotely or reduced hours as they were going under investigation, which is, which is funny, right? Because um, it's been very much in the national mind of at least specifically for marijuana, decriminalizing it, if not legalizing it. Yeah. Even DC Uh legalized recreation. I mean, gosh, I'd have to be high to live in DC. No kidding. (laughs) And so they, they lost their jobs with a, you know, under a president who's with a party who's, largely for this now president biden is pretty conservative when it comes to some stuff like this not necessarily conservative as in like political but just conservative overall of like trying to push the envelope and so like what's funny we kind of talked about the economics of this fox news oh boy came out on the side of the folks who had been fired see this is what's interesting is that this country as a whole the only time you get bipartisan support for almost anything is when there's a disaster mm-hmm. like Corona or you don't look bad. What's right? that? You don't yeah, wanna, exactly. You don't want to look, look like bad. you're taking, yeah. you know, food money from people or when it comes to the softer drugs, cannabis to be specific, right? That has almost bipartisan support across the board. There's, I don't think there's any other topic in this country that has as high levels of bipartisan support as this, which is fascinating. In so many ways. Um, that's sorry. That's off topic. Yeah, and I mean it's it's interesting to see the the ways that the states have kind of handled this across the board. Like there are still some states that are pretty locked down as far as this, and then we have Oregon, which a lot of folks misinterpret what they what they passed this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon decriminalized, not legalized, but decriminalized all all drug position. Can I flex my legal muscles? There's a difference for those that don't know who are listening. There's a difference between legalizing, decriminalizing and illegalizing words. Anyway, there's a difference there. Um, Making something a non-criminal offense is like kind of equivalent to getting a speeding ticket or jaywalking something minor. You're not going to go to jail for it, but it's kind of a, you know, slap on the wrist. They right. actually take it. They take the drugs, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to prison. You're not going to do hard time. Mm-hmm. Whereas complete legalization is like, I can walk down the street to the dispensary, give the guy 20 bucks and get a joint or something. Right. So big legal difference there. So it's a question. What happened in, in Oregon recently? Uh, Oregon. It went full the, Portugal, which we'll talk about later. Oregon decriminalized all drug possession. 
Um, All drug so, possession, not just cannabis. Not just cannabis, okay. but magic mushrooms. Just, just digging I through believe, stuff. Heroin, because things like that. Mm-hmm. Because Oregon actually started the decriminalization process of cannabis in 1973. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they were the And that's ones. why I was like, wait a minute. That, they've been decriminalized for a long mm-hmm. time for cannabis anyways. Uh, but Oregon was one of the first to legalize it for recreational use, I think. Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. it's up there, yeah. But it's, it's interesting. So looking at the stats, there are only two states that are still considered to be criminal cannabis users. Mm-hmm. I'm Which guessing is, Alaska. No, Alaska no. is not no. one of them. No, and is and there's Alabama? a reason why for that. Good question. It's not Alabama. I don't think it's Alabama. I'm I'm terrible with uh, with geography. It's. I'll give you a hint. I know the one next to us. Idaho and Nebraska. Is that Nebraska? That's about I think right. it's Nebraska. Okay, it is decriminalized. God, in Nebraska. I have to be ripped all the time to live in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of nowhere, right? What else are you going to do? Corn. There's corn. There's corn. That's it. That's the problem. I yeah, don't so want to give up land to grow weed because I got to grow corn. True. True. I guess you've got whiskey then. Eh, sort of. Ethanol. Ethanol. Mm-hmm. Moonshine. And you can run your car on that well, too. Well, then you go blind and you'd stop seeing corn at least. That's yeah, helpful. You'd stop seeing Nebraska. That, it's, this explains everything. <laughs> I was going to say, right? <laughs> oh, my God. We just cracked the code. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive that, that we only have two states left that have not, well, one technically that mm-hmm. hasn't decriminalized and also is illegal. And that's Idaho, which right. is hilarious for the location that they are in, right? No kidding. <laughs> Shares a border with Washington well, and Oregon. And Montana, which is fully legal as well. The only one that isn't. Montana is not fully legal. It's fully legal according according to Wiki. No, it's for recreational. For, it's fully legal. No, it's, it's, it's not. not legal. It's, it's not just legal for medical use. Court, I, I'm stunned. This last, uh, this last year, there stunned. were a, a wave of states that legalized it. I know that. I'd never thought, because Montana's pretty well, red. I mean, so is Alaska. But it's so many of the yeah, times the whole idea of, of decriminalization and legalization has come down to a financial thing. So, as of January 1st, 2021, it is no longer illegal to possess small amounts of marijuana for recreational use in Montana. What you should know about recreational marijuana in Montana. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Initiative 118. Missoula's going to be happy. So I'm wondering, like, you know, did Idaho set up a whole bunch of state patrol at either of the they borders? Don't. Just wait. I know they, they don't. <laughs> there was there was a while where they were catching a lot of for, for listeners who don't know, Spokane is very close to the Idaho border and they were catching folks coming from because there's a dispensary that's pretty close out there. The two yeah. of them right yeah. on state line. Yeah. And they were catching people going to the dispensary and then just leaving straight into Idaho. Like mm-hmm. if you're you know, it's illegal in your state. Like I'm not, I'm not encouraging anything illegal, but if you're going to do it, please don't be dumb. Like at least go back and exit and then go. Wow. Jake, you just solved the uh, drug traffickers dilemma there. Apparently. Good job. The feds are on their way. Probably. Don't ever apply for a job at the FBI. Yeah. (laughs) Funny, funny story. Uh, If you want to apply for a job at the FBI, you cannot have used any substances, cannabis or otherwise. Like the past five years. Yep. That's why, um, is it the FBI? CIA? I think it's the CIA. The CIA hires. Does not care. <laughs> oh, so then it's not the CIA. Then, uh, it's probably the DEA. No, no. It was, no, no. It was CIA, at least for a long time. There is a large amount of Mormons who work for the our intelligence. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's the CIA, but. At is least, it weird that I'm okay with that? Oh, I'm f- fine. fine. Um, but it's largely because, like, they pass background checks super easy. Well, yeah. And most of them speak, or not most of them, but a lot of them speak a second language because missions. That's true. That is true. Of all the people, of all the sub-communities, 
anyway. So some interesting thoughts uh, in regards <laughs> back to drugs. Yeah, back to drugs. So in, in, in regards to cannabis legalization, because I just find it fascinating, right? Because a lot of it's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, in 2020, it was Virginia, Vermont, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, South Dakota. Wow. And Mississippi and South Dakota. There, why is that twice? Okay. Go wiki. Um, interesting note on that one. Um, oh, South Dakota is, is uh, it is not official yet. Mm. Oh, okay. That's why there's a, a sub note there. That's interesting. Hmm. South Dakota also is the first state to legalize recreational use without first legalizing medical use. Ooh. Kind of an odd paradigm. Really? I read that Illinois legalized it with the legislature before. So the legislature brought it up because a lot of these states, it was an initiative by the, the populace. Right. They brought it to the legislature. I, I think it was Illinois where the legislature actually it kind is. of spearheaded mm-hmm. it. Yeah, in 2019. That's interesting. The first state to legalize the commercial sale of recreational cannabis through the act of state legislature. Well, I was reading over. Uh, and then everybody jumped on board. Which reading over cannabis good. laws in some of the other countries. And there are a lot more than I thought that are taking very relaxed stances on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada is legal across the country. Yeah. Almost all of the European countries, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of Central and South American countries. Um, and a lot of them are also relaxing their actual, like, quote unquote, hard drug laws even more. They're starting to see it more as a public health matter rather than a criminal matter, right. which and we it can should go be. into that later too. Right. That, that, I think that's a great topic. And I don't know if we want to get into that. Absolutely. But yeah. No, it, it's the thing that I find interesting, right? Is the United States, the federal government here, mm-hmm. still considers it to be a criminal act? Like it, it is still illegal to partake of cannabis right. um and it, it just it befuddles me that you can have an upper level that says no this is illegal where the states are saying nope it's fine we states you can rights. sell it and, and it, it's but it's interesting right because it, it's a very unique scenario mm-hmm. where stuff you have like canada or even like the the countries over in the in eu it is the country that's been saying yep it's fine go for it right but here that's not the case well what's interesting is the United Nations, I think in the mid to late nineties actually came out with kind of the, and you know, talk about big globalist government all you want. <laughs> um, that was the, uh, I'm trying the best way to explain it. The United Nations released this giant policy that all of the members had to sign on to that basically said psychotropic substances and narcotics are bad, illegal everywhere. And that was kind of the big kick in the butt for the war on drugs. But now all of these countries that are in the United Nations are really dialing back mm-hmm. on how mm-hmm. stringently they're enforcing these. Like in the last four years, we were under very Republican uh, Senate executive branch and they had the uh, House of Representatives for a while too. Never really came up, mm-hmm. you know, and under the Obama administration, they even said this is the like lowest priority for us. Oh yeah, is enforcing cannabis laws. So, well, it's a waste of time. It's a waste yeah, of resources. It's a huge waste of money. Mm-hmm. You know, and and huge. I feel I feel bad for the guys who are incarcerated today because of previous that's arrests what I was, and arraignments. Right. Yeah, that. that's what I was going to kind of get into. Is like they're like I really hate possession charges anyway. For by and large, oh and yeah. As we as we kind of delve more into the decriminal like what decriminalization of not just cannabis, but all drugs looks into, Mm -hmm. we can kind of get into that. There have been so many people who are on incredibly long charges, not to mention like all the issues that you face 
getting out of prison. Oh gosh, you're hosed. Like for good life, luck. Basically. Good luck getting oh, yeah. a good job. You might might be able to get hired as like at some retail store. Now, for those of us who aren't familiar, originally was marijuana possession a felony? Probably. Um, I know think? everything got kicked up with Nixon, but I don't remember okay. what it was really before that. I know in some areas, like small amounts were, were misdemeanor uh, mm-hmm. type, but I'm, I'm just kind of thinking back, and I, I, I want to say that most marijuana crimes were based felonies, which is something that tags you for life, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, follows you around, you know, and and mm-hmm. you know waits in the back of your car for you, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, like, it look, makes it it makes it more difficult to get a job. It makes it more difficult to, to do get anything. loans. It, it's oh yeah. Well, background insane. checks and applications uh-huh. always include that lovely line. You know, have mm, have you ever been committed? You know, there's, a felony. there's a flag there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's well, not it's not for discrimination necessarily. It's for public information. Right. At sure. least that's what they say. Right. Well, public information can be used in discriminatory ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The those laws were so draconian and yeah, if you're, if you have possession with intent to distribute and you have like bales of weed in your car. Okay. Yeah. You should be looked at pretty harshly because there's something going on there. But if you just have like a little capitalism, uh, right? (laughs) George Carlin called these the conveniently taxed drugs, nicotine, alcohol, um, and now cannabis, I, I, now, I think you would agree. And now cannabis, you would. But you'd have these people on these like these multiple strike policies, and it can be anything. Oh, you you were stopped with you know a quarter gram, which is hardly any mm-hmm. on your person. Oh, that's you know that's strike one. You got a quarter gram again. Oh, and amounts that are insignificant, just totally insignificant. You're not obviously not trying to sell it. You're not trying to traffic it, but these people would be put away for decades because of, you know, having small amounts on them. And yeah, a lot of times it was in minority communities and, you know, poor socioeconomic communities, um, which just screwed them over even more because of everything Jake just said about, you know, when you get out of prison, if you get out of prison, Mm -hmm. all of the things that are going to follow you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I haven't done the research on this, but there, there have been many pardons, I think is the right word for people who commutations, uh, commutations, I right. guess, um, for people who, you know, who were Previously arrested on those charges. Yeah. Right. Um, does that mark go off their record? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I think they had, I think a lot of them had their sentences commuted. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all fine and dandy, but you still have a felony on your record. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, I yeah, know. I don't know. Um, I don't. So, I don't think it expunges the record completely. Right, and that that also kind of brings into like there has been a huge accusation and seems to be well founded that a lot of our drug enforcement policies have been kind of racist. Oh, oh absolutely, completely. Um, completely. Yeah, and it's so back in the 1870s, um, we had our first anti-opium laws, kind of largely directed at Chinese immigrants. Hey, let's you know get an entire population addicted to this drug and then dehumanize them because they are addicted to this drug that we planted. Did we team up with the British on that one? The opium wars? Never when, mind. Yeah, sorry, we <laughs> we is the more general world because ah. we were not the only ones who. Very enacted accurate. open uh, or anti-opium laws. 
And so like early in the 1900s then, so 1910s, 20s, um, that's when we first started seeing anti-marijuana laws in the Midwest and Southwest. Reefer madness. Yeah, and largely directed at Mexican immigrants and Mexican-Americans. And black Americans. Mm -hmm. Because it it made them both lazy and violent. All at the same time. All at the same time. And they were going to just be layabouts, but also kill you Mm -hmm. and maybe rape your wife. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems all, like sound policy mm-hmm. making. Naturally, yeah. naturally. Um, did you know that the, the war on drugs is 50 years old? Fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. Wow. Spending all that. It has shit. been. And have we, what have, what have, what has actually been accomplished? More people in prison? Probably nothing of merit. I mean, we've spent a trillion dollars, I think, mm-hmm. is close to I was going to say, amount. there's been a few reports on it that basically it's it was ridiculous. A, a huge money sink, a huge resource sink. There was a. And uh, nothing good came out of it. There was a, a bit of research I had found that, that looked at the economics of the drug trade and what it would mean to legalize. And I don't remember the time frame that this particular study was looking at. I believe it was 10 or 15 years or so. But it basically posited that if we had legalized cannabis, and we keep coming back to cannabis because it's kind of the most visible yeah. of the well, it's the current one in reform, right? It's, right? it's the current one in reform and arguably the one with the that causes the, the most least baggage. Well, it's got the most baggage because so many people have gotten busted for it. True. Yeah. But it, it, it does have the least harmful effects in comparison, honestly, to a lot of drugs. Yeah, Sorry, certainly on the schedule. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's that's just what I was going to get at. And so like this this war on drugs has been raging and we've we've done right. nothing spent a lot of money, put a lot of people in jail, probably put a lot of people in the ground, mm-hmm. sadly, for for what? Yeah, nothing constructive. The drugs are still out there. People are still using. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is where I think you start to get into a moralistic conversation about it is, you know, there will be voices that say, you know, oh, well, you know, those people just need to do this. They just need to do blank or they just need to stop doing blank. It's not that easy. You know, just about never is. And they'll say, oh, it's it's too fatalistic or defeatist to say, well, people are always going to do drugs. People are always going to do drugs. Okay. People, people what are we can do, do is help. People them. have been cultivating psychotropic substances literally since the beginning of recorded human history. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we allow certain drugs, right? We allow oh, yeah. caffeine. We allow alcohol. We allow... You know, there are a lot of things that we, we allow. We allow cocaine yeah. for... We, oh, yeah. Cocaine, cocaine is fine. not a Schedule One substance. No. No. It's not? No. No. Oh, I'm surprised. It has medicinal uses. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was I was going to say specifically... Completely different, but... Yeah, what that heroin? Heroin and morphine are derivatives of the same plant. Right. That's, okay, that's what I thought. Sorry, my bad. So what, okay. I was going, what I was going to bring up... They do very different things than cocaine. Yes, they do. My bad. I, I, <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting, in, I'm you're getting okay. into it here. This is why I'm the anti-drug person in this room. <laughs> But what I was going to say is like, like we, we le- have legalized opiates. Like we have mm-hmm. oxycodone, oxycontin. Oh, well, and Vicodins. we've done that for medical use, you know, across oh, for sure. a lot of For things, sure. I have seen so many lives destroyed oh, by opiate addiction. Yeah. My, my own father, uh, horrible stuff. Like my, for a little bit of background, my, my dad um, had severe chronic pain behind his eye he had, uh, due to cancer that was removed, but the radiation um, gamma knife procedure had not gotten super great by the time he had it irradiated. And so it opened all the nerve endings on oh, his gosh. eye. Ooh. 
no tear production in that eye either. So no moisture, no nothing, constant severe pain. We couldn't like, um, couldn't get an optician to remove it for the longest time. 12 years of this. Oh my God. Just wouldn't touch it because of risk. Because it has sight. Oh, and opticians will always take vision over pain, by and large. And there's there's a whole other side of that story oh, too. Let's like talk about medical ethics on our next episode. <laughs> oh yeah, but like my my dad's cancer doc, wonderful person, felt so so like he he felt responsible for the pain that my dad was in, um, even though not directly he could not have yeah. done anything better. No. The guy was amazing. Collateral damage, it kind of. And so he would prescribe dad anything that he needed and yeah. um it turns out we think um he he's since passed away and so we haven't done a whole lot of research into it anymore but we think that a lot of his pain was was neuro opiates don't really do a whole lot for neuro pain mm. and had cannabis been even medicinally legalized in washington at the time which it wasn't he could have actually maybe had some real pain management yeah. and not had right. this this horrible addiction that that honestly like I know it sounds kind of cliche it tore my family apart yeah yeah well, again um, right? that's that's what happens incredibly hard yeah it's it's tough and so to see and like adding the, the religious aspect to that too I am I still consider myself very faithful but at the at the time I was um, not at the time I don't know like six years ago. I was attending a, a local church here, um, and I asked, like, hey, as part of the, the greater denomination that you guys are in, because I was, anyways, that we were in, um, like, what is, the, what is the thought on medicinal, purely medicinal marijuana use? Oh, absolutely not. But what opiates are okay? Because it's a drug. Like that was it. There's so much of this that's been steeped into our culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially in the in the right, in the religious right, like marijuana is seen as this huge boogeyman, the gateway drug. That I mean, they sort live in thing. the thirties anyway, reefer madness. Sometimes, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of them. And like his to 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 my friend's credit, who was a pastor, like he didn't agree with the stance that the denomination had taken. And we talked through that. But it's like like we're willing to legalize all of these drugs with horrible, horrible side effects, and that we're just now finally, as a nation, beginning to reckon with the the issue of the opiate epidemic. But we're not willing to at least legalize medicinal use for marijuana. That has been, even with the tiny amount of research that we've been able to do in the States, because, of course, we can't research it, that has shown very little side effect, very little addictive properties, and has helped people. I remember when um, the there's a strand... Charlotte's web of uh, marijuana. I forget all of the different things, but they balanced it. And um, it's shown incredible properties to stop seizures in people who like even epileptic, epileptic, epileptic medicine um, wasn't working for them. Yeah. High, high THC content can do that because mm-hmm. it stabilizes. Well, I'm guessing I'm not, I'm not a neuroscientist, but yeah, it yeah. stabilizes brain one, function. I, I thought this one wasn't THC at all, but I don't know. Like, I, I just remember, like, like finally yeah, seeing... It's, it's either THC or CBD, the two three-letter acronyms that mm-hmm. are in cannabis. Sorry, but continue. finally seeing that, like, it, it, it gave me hope. And unfortunately, things didn't work out, but or at least with my own personal story. But now that we are starting to see this, like, we have other options. And I think that going through decriminalization right. for not just cannabis but for everything allow us to research because 
we have so many people who are in tough situations through very little fault of their own with drugs that are much worse than cannabis. Sure. Think if we actually had the research to be able to handle these and say, look, these we we might have a better way of helping people out of this. Right. Well, that's the interesting part, right? The the European area mostly has decriminalized some of these more heavy drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And they are using it as a, hey, if you need help, if you, you know, if if you need a safe space to do your drugs. Mm-hmm. Come talk to us. Like we want to help you not kill yourself. We want to help you not overdose. Yep. We want to, you know, educate. You know, it's like proper dosing, proper sterilization methods, yep. uh, how yep. to how to properly find a vein. I mean, yeah. people are going to do it anyways. Help them to do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then and maybe through that relationship, you can start. You to can help, help building on other things, right? Well, and yeah. that's what's happened in Portugal. In two thousand one, Portugal decriminalized all substances. Really across the board. Wow. Just decriminalized them because they had a huge heroin epidemic. I bet, Portugal, I bet it disappeared overnight too. Uh, not quite. It did now. Significant I'll, dip. Yes, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. A little backstory. Yeah. Portugal was under very autocratic rule for about forty years or so, and then they opened to the free market and the West, whatever, in the mid to early seventies and drugs. Drugs. And they. They had no experience with it. So all of a sudden, heroin, yay. Kids, heroin's bad. Um, and there's there was like 1% of the population, doesn't sound like a lot, kind of is, had a heroin problem. And it was across the board. It wasn't just, you know, homeless people or whatever. It was like anywhere you look. Just general population. It was generally affecting the population. Um, they tried a very, you know, restrictive war on drugs. Didn't really work. And then in 2000, I think it took them a couple of years to get around to the policy, but in 2001, they decriminalized it across the board. And since then, uh, overdoses, hepatitis C, HIV, um, relapse, just all of the negative crap that comes with drug use has fallen off a cliff, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, now, sh- there are still people who use, but if you get caught and stopped with any amount on your person, you don't just go to jail. You go talk to a panel of, I think it's a lawyer, a healthcare worker, and like a nurse or a doctor. Mm-hmm. So you don't just immediately get thrown in a box. You know? Well, and that's the thing. Getting thrown in a box if you have substance abuse, you know, is really addiction, not going to help It you. doesn't help, right? It, it, at, it worse. at worst, you know, at best, you're going to detox, which without it, proper medical well, could it, be a problem too. It can be fatal in some situations. Yeah. But and that and that's that you know that's good scenario, right? right. Worst case you do die. Like it, yeah. it is something that's a shock to your system it does kill you. Yeah. Um or you become violent and start causing other problems. But that's that's the thing is like without while it's still criminalized here, you can't walk into a, a health clinic or a hospital and say, "Hey, I have a heroin problem. I need I need more information and, and, you know, dosing information. So I don't accidentally kill myself because you will be picked up on the spot. Like it's, it's not even a question. It's like, Nope, you're going to the box. Enjoy. And then, and then you're done. Like that's well, and that's the problem is that because the prohibition around it is so strict, it's driven underground. Absolutely. Just like we saw in the teens and twenties with alcohol Mm -hmm. and how, how much just terribleness prohibition rot. You ever seen a bathtub explode? I kind of want to. It's kind of epic. A bathtub explode. Moonshine. Mm-hmm. Bathtub gin. Bathtub gin. You your car on that stuff. Yeah. You get organized crime. You get, 
you get low questionable quality products, you know? Well, I think that's the worst, right? Like there's, there's scenarios where purchasing poorly cut cocaine or can heroin kill you. can kill you. Absolutely. Cause they cut it with all kinds of horrible stuff. Oh yeah. And it's a white powder. It can work. Yeah. Oh, Clorox. Whoops. Yeah. And if, and if you don't have a resource to be able to, you know, test the period, test it. I mean, I hate to say it that way. Right. Cause it, I don't want to condone it, but that's the, that's the other side mm-hmm. of this argument, right? We're not condoning it. Mm-mm. We're simply saying that if we had facilities to facilitate the proper usage of drugs and proper education of drug use, one, it wouldn't be as taboo as it is, and I don't think many people would go for it as much. Right. That was one of the things I noticed when we uh, decriminalized and, and legalized marijuana here in Washington. The world didn't end? Well, the world didn't end, <laughs> but a lot of my friends who were explicitly smokers stopped. It wasn't cool anymore. It wasn't taboo. It wasn't like they were edgy. Yeah, it wasn't edgy. Like they, they didn't necessarily, you know, do it because of that, but it was definitely one of those things that was, it was a draw a driver. Yeah. yeah it was, it Which was is there. like one of the, especially I worked in youth group for a long time. And, um, that was one of the reasons, like I never, never explicitly told my students like, yeah, I went out and party. Not that I'm a big party or anyway, but if they asked me about alcohol, like I had a lot of high schoolers, I said, yeah, I, We'll provide I'd good drink, information. Like, yeah, right? provide good information. And it's like, I, you know, I'm over 21. I don't get drunk, uh, that sort of a thing. And like, there's there's responsible ways to use these things. But I had so many of my cohort growing up whose parents were like, alcohol is the devil, sort of a thing. And a lot of them, not all of them, I'm not saying this is a 100% sentence, right. but a lot of them went heavily to the well, other yeah. way. Well, see, that's... It, if you, especially if you look at this country's alcohol laws compared to Canada, Europe, places like that, and how ironclad it is when you when you put these things kind of on this pedestal, not really in a you know laudatory sense, but when you when you put them so far out of reach, yeah, the taboo that's generated because of it is a draw for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I can't have it, I want it. That, that's human exactly. nature, unfortunately. Yep. And when I have it, and I usually can't, I'm going to have as much of as, it as I yep. can possibly mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do as much as I can. Because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, and that, I think that's a driving factor that, that really was a thing. Uh, the more we pushed against you know, the war on drugs, the more, the more we refined it and kept people from it or told them it was bad or told, told them it was horrible, the worse, it got. Mm-hmm. the worse it got because people are now, well, first they're curious now, right? You can't tell someone like, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. If you do this, you might die. Oh, that so sounds saying, interesting. Maybe I'll try that once. Are we saying the more the government tightens their grip, the more galaxies slip through their fingers? Oh, my God. Star Wars! Fantastic. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Nerd! And on that note... This is your regularly scheduled scotch break. So one of the interesting things about um, scotch and actually a lot of a lot of different beverages, because this happens, I think, with wine, too, is like, you know, you always talk about tasting notes which seemed so incredibly bougie, right? Are, are we going on a, on a trip for our five senses in scotch? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. I was excited um, there for a minute. <laughs> I mean, we could do three. We could, yeah. Smell, sight, smell, touch, taste. That's, I mean, that's four. four. That's four. That's four. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really sound like anything. Can you? I mean, does it sound like the ocean when I no, put my No, it sounds like squalon! 
There's angry people yelling. Is yep. that what Scotch sounds like? Uh, but ah, a lot of a lot of that. <laughs> it's like England and Germany had a kid. Wales, Scotland. What? Wales. Wales is an interesting place. Yeah, it's a scary. Their place. accent is. I love their accent. A, a Welsh. I don't accent, know what they're a saying. Good Welsh accent is glorious. Mm-hmm. Welsh as a language is pretty fun to listen to as it's well. It's incredibly difficult to pronounce. Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's not phonetic, at least not the way that we would say it's phonetic. That's not American English phonetic. No, it's not. Um, but getting getting back to what? the whiskey, isn't, isn't like all the major languages we have based on Latin. No. Excellent. Oh, God. Uh, we're going to talk about language in our next episode. Sorry, <laughs> so Jake. Back to the whiskey. Back to the liquor. Um, uh, there's a process called finishing, and that's when um, the scotch has been fully matured, but the producers want to impart or tease out some more flavors. Um, maturation happens in casks and has to be done for a minimum of three years. Then after that, the blender decides when it's complete and says that it's mature, it goes to be bottled or finished in fresh casks. Interesting. Um, and so it's the fresh casks that really kind of impart this, this other flavor into the sky. Now is it the wood that the casks are made of that kind of, because I mean, I'm getting a little hints of like vanilla, a little caramel. Mm-hmm. By and large, from from what I understand, yes, I am a layperson when it comes to that's perfect scotch and things like that. So, if any of our commenters would like to impart some knowledge on us, drop a comment, be, drop some knowledge. Yeah, we're not going to cool. drop scotch on you. Sorry, mm, no, sorry, we, don't, we, we can't <laughs> have giveaways yet. Not yet, but maybe eventually. Hashtag not yet sponsored. Hashtag not yet sponsored. I actually have a friend who says there's a proper way to drink scotch bourbon whiskey um and get those kind of aromatics mm-hmm. it's really weird don't judge me uh you know but you know sometimes when you have wine and you do the the Hannibal Lecter thing yeah with scotch the way you do it is you take a sip and you kind of cup your tongue a little bit hmm. so you can kind of hold a little bit of the scotch on your tongue and then inhale gently through your mouth and it almost like carries the vapors up and across your palate. Jake's doing it right now for those listening at home. I feel like I did it wrong because I'm getting a lot of like the harsher alcohol when I do that. You do get a little, you do get some of that metallic alcohol, but you also can pick up some of those more springtime. No, I don't know if it's springtime. Springtime? Springtime notes. Does this have floral notes? Is that what's happening here? Actually, I would never associate scotch with spring. I would associate it with winter or fall. It is mm-hmm. definitely a cold weather drink. Oh yeah, a nice spritz would be great for spring. What is a spritz? Yeah, what? Uh, <laughs> usually has like soda water and stuff in it. Like you've heard of Aperol spritz. It's Aperol, another liquor I can't remember. And I am woefully under educated when it comes to liquor. I was gonna say, how, how does that conform to, to like seltzers? Uh, they're fairly related. Okay. I'm talking mildly after my butt right now, but they are fairly related. Um, just curious. I would love to get more into like mixology. Um, it's, I hate having so many extra ingredients on hand though. I could apps for that. There are, but it's still like, you know, you have to get a certain bitter sometimes or whatever. And then you only use it for that drink. I have a problem with cooking as it is. I was like, you don't need help with that at all. No. These guys have seen my pantry. It's a, it's a bit of a mess. Anyways, back an to our topic. Mess. Speaking of gateway drugs, kids, don't start cooking. You're just going to keep getting yeah. more and more spices. 
don't don't start cooking. Don't do drugs. Don't buy fast cars. Mm-mm. Just live on your screens for the rest of your lives. Let the millennials have the fun. <laughs> wow, I I feel like I need to step in here and be like, you guys are are just terrible. Don't don't edu- don't don't encourage. Don't corrupt the youth. Well, I, I can't say that. <laughs> don't encourage sedency. Don't, don't encourage the hermitology. Of, hermitology. Ooh, I, I like no, that. I hope that means what I think it does. Um, <laughs> Study of hermit <laughs> album I, name. Maybe what? So. I don't want to encourage people to stay a, stay at home, stay alone, and, and no. socialize well, via. Well, I mean, stay kind of right now, but hopefully in another few months. Well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, pandemic aside, uh, a little bit different lifestyle. But looking at substance abuse, it, it is the people who sit at home alone who potentially don't have that outreach to, to have that social attachment mm-hmm. um, that turn to uh, alcohol or other yeah. substances. I mean, we have seen... Uh, during this pandemic, alcohol sales, just alcohol sales. I don't know. Probably the rest skyrocket. Oh, my gosh. To the moon. And well, it's one home thing, delivery like, helps, right? Yeah. We have services like Drizzly now and a few others. But like when I was when I was still working ministry down in San Jose, um, you know, I was still in it up until uh, October of 2020, technically. I don't know. We can get into that in another podcast. But like one of the things that we were seeing, like as a ministry who – ideally was trying to reach out to the community and help. Um, One of the things that we saw was like, I think it was 400% within the first month is how much alcohol scales. Not surprising, right? Not surprising. Mm -hmm. You you have free time. You have no responsibilities, potentially. You have a lack of social interaction. It's easy to be a little drunk when you're working on Zoom. Sure. I'm saying, no, I'm full disclosure. I don't drink during work. Obviously this isn't the fifties. I'm not on Mad Men. But if that was an interesting thing, though, right? Like back in back in the fifties, it was three common. martini lunches. Yeah, and it was common mm-hmm. to go to your boss's office and share a scotch or a whiskey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure you could probably still do that in some offices. Seems very yeah, sketch in this day and age. I mean, it like the issue is more HR. Um, like I've on the occasional Friday at three p.m., especially if I don't, I know I don't have a whole lot going on. I'll crack a beer. Well, and and there are, are companies out there that actually sponsor yeah. mm-hmm. Beer Friday, Beer Friday, effectively. You know, after four p.m., after five p.m., whenever most people are off shift, mm-hmm. you know, come down, socialize, have a beer. A lot of them will, will do their own. Like if the employees are brewing their own beer, they have a chance to bring them in and mm-hmm. and you know let people taste. Yeah, that and was, sometimes they just do general tasters, right? Right. That was a huge thing with a lot of like you know when I was in college, there were a number of tech companies that I was going to say recruited. tech startups were huge for that. Yeah, yeah, they recruited and like sometimes their big shtick was ping, like, ping pong balls, yeah, ping pong ping tables, pong and. Uh, and beer. Yep. And it was like every day. Frat life is basically the recruiting tool oh, I know, for right? startups. Yeah. Well, you can think about who was starting up the startups, right? They were millennials. They were people who really were just getting out of college. And basically it was. It was a huge frat party. You know, come here, come work with us for free, and we will give you just rolls of stock because it's 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 meaningless right it's now. Meaningless right now, but it could be worth millions. And unfortunately, not any. You know, there were very select few that made it through that. Right. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, but it was it was fun. I mean, obviously, a lot of people had a lot of fun. I was still in college, high schoolish time frame, so I didn't get to participate in the the two thousand boom. Unfortunately, of tech, uh-huh. I think it would have been amazing. Uh, I've got to you know kind of use that as a, a great experience moving forward, not to get into a lot of new tech mm-hmm. uh, companies that have that kind of grandiose uh, thought process. But this is way the hell off topic at this point. I was about to say, uh, but bring drugs. This, yeah. Drugs. Well, and I wanted to actually kind of touch on 
what you said there earlier, like folks <laughs> don't tell people to stay at home. Well, except when there's a pandemic, but like it, there's, there's this issue with drug abuse and lack of social structure. When, when people are removed from the social structure, not necessarily just staying at home, but removed from it in like, you might be socioeconomic uh, ways, right? You might be houseless. You might be um, out of a job or something like that. Like that, um, puts you in a much more vulnerable position where it's much easier to um, start relying on these things or you're like, how, how many stories have we heard of human trafficking? And one of the ways that these people are kept in horrible, horrible situations is because they get addicted to these drugs, not through their choice. No, yeah, they keep them drugged, mm-hmm. drugged and basically detained all the time. There was a doctor. I don't remember what, Sadie was in. Uh, he's actually on Rogan not too long ago. Who did a kind of? I don't know if it got published, but it was it was a study basically, where he would take crack addicts and basically look. And it was it was a study on addiction, on the natures of addiction, and he found that if you gave them something else to do something productive something maybe a little creative they would take that over the drugs mm-hmm. well they just needed something right that, yeah. that's most people they, they need an occupation exactly that's yeah. the thing they well, need an occupy a meaningful occupation yeah. and it's much easier to address and control a drugs abuse situation whatever you want to call it a drug use situation if you have a social support and something to mm-hmm. do. Um, for for anybody who doesn't know, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy, and um, mm. I, I work with an organization uh, on Sundays that um, kind of does house houseless or homeless outreach. And the basically the further up you go, the better um, you are kind of able to integrate. Break in society. down the and hierarchy the, of needs for us. Sure, the hierarchy of needs starting with the basis physiological needs: air, water, air, water, food shelter, sleep, clothing, and reproduction. That's like the your base animalistic level. needs. Okay. Basically. Animalistic needs. That's your lizard brain, right? Um so like working with with the houseless, like you're missing a huge component right there. You're you missing don't shelter. Have shelter. Yeah. Or you're if you do have one shelter, of these and you're probably sketch. dangerously close to losing the others. Yep. yep. So above that is safety needs. So personal security, employment, resources, health, prosperity. After that you have love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, that sort of thing. After that, you have esteem, so respect, self-esteem, um, status is kind of in there, which I have opinions on, um, strength, freedom, recognition, and then at the very top, the very pinnacle of this is self-actualization, the desire to become the most that one can be. So we're we're taking so many people who are at the very bottom of this pyramid, people who don't have food or shelter a lot of the times, speaking of the houseless, or even just the next rung up, like people who don't have personal security, who don't have a necessarily full-time employment or, or stable employment in general. And these are the people that we often find incarcerated due to these, uh, due to drug possession. And the sad thing is that being incarcerated satisfies some of those base level needs. Yep. Absolutely. And I would bet, I would bet money that the further, if we could chart this, the further someone fell on that pyramid, the more likely they are to fall into addiction. Mm-hmm. Because if you have, you know, social support, a loving network, you know, all of your health and safety needs taken care of, the 
desire for that, you know, kind of escape that a lot of people cite as drug use impetus probably falls off, you know, and it goes from being, oh, I got to have heroin to cope, you know, to. Well, if I'm having a good life, I want to be here to enjoy it. Right? Exactly. If, if I'm not having a good life, or I'm not having a good day. I want to escape. It. I have an escape. Mm-hmm. I have a way of ignoring right. the next three hours of my right. life, right? Or conversely, uh, a lot of people in the service industry, wait staff, bartenders uh, do meth. Oh, yeah. And it's all over the service industry because the hours are terrible. It's grueling work. You're getting paid beans. Almost garbage. And I'm betting again that if they had more of their needs met Mm -hmm. up that scale because they don't have to power through, they don't have to just bear down and muscle and grind through the day, they would find that they need that substance less to rank it by. Right. And this is is where I think decriminalization can come in, but also like, you know, fo- folks who are displaced or without jobs or something like that, um, from a, from like a very selfish point of view, it's very easy to just say, oh yeah, they should be in prison because they, they did drugs. They're not contributing in society. They're not contributing. Well, well how are we what's helping about them? That? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, please. How are we helping them to contribute to society? Absolutely. Like it's, it's so much easier to say like, yeah, just throw them all in prison. It's so, it the work to actually help lift people out of horrible situations that they find themselves in, whether or not it's through the fault of their own, we all make mistakes, so I can't fault somebody that much for a lot of this type of stuff. That work is harder, and it's not but a business. See, that's how much, the other thing. Ah, yeah. yes. It's such a, oh my gosh, it's so crazy, is that, yes, the work is harder, but it's cheaper. It is. It absolutely is. I remember, like, this is, this is tangential to this, but since I already brought up houselessness and homelessness, it would be... In the low billions, I think, for the U.S. to stop, basically stop hunger inside of the U.S. Low billions. We spend way Looking more at you, than Jeffy B. Way more than that on so many of these other programs that are supposed to help that do nothing or incarcerate people. And like and and by the way, are the way we deal with incarceration here in the states is just horrible. Well, the fact that it's private a business, prison, it's a right? business. Of course, they want to keep people in, especially for private for privatized prisons, mm-hmm. which I think are. I think the Biden administration started rolling back on that. I can only hope so. Oh God, I do. I too. mean, we're from a purely financial point of view. Looking at you, Fox News, since you tend to lo- seem to love this with the whole Fox marijuana News thing, we are spending so much more paying these privatized prisons than if we had actually started rolling out programs that have been shown to help lower incarceration rates, lower crime. Rates. Well, that was one of the stats that I had found that I alluded to earlier is the studies, the study that I was talking about, this is back at the beginning of the episode, showed that in that 10, 15 year period, had cannabis been legal and not a federal offense, they would have saved like 46 billion mm-hmm. on incarceration expenses and made like another thirty billion on tax revenue, mm-hmm. and so it would have been a net positive of almost eighty billion dollars. Yeah, I who's, mean, who's going to turn that? Like the the state of Colorado gave its gave its populace a refund check mm-hmm. on their taxes because they had so much cash from weed. Yeah, well, obviously that that helps drive it, right? That, yeah. And that's that's a good thing, you know. As we talked, uh, I don't know how many episodes ago now at this point, people follow the money. It, it, it's a, it's unfortunate. It can be unfortunate. Um, but it's consistent. If there's money, we can we can make it happen. 
And I feel like that's what's happening with the marijuana thing is a lo- the first state to do it said, hey, we can make money off this. And two of the other states looked at him and went, dude, yes, you can. dude they're making money off that. Mm-hmm. We need to do this. And that, and people just follow suit, right? And and it's it's apparent that everyone is following suit. Now, it may, there may be other things attached to it because we, we, we all want to feel warm and fuzzy about why we're doing something. We want to make sure, sure that it's, oh, it's for the betterment of, of humanity. Mm-hmm. And it makes us taxes. <laughs> hey, having your cake and eating it too. Oh, no. It's all good. It's all good. See, here's mm-hmm. what needs to happen. And I can't believe the pinko commie bastard in me is going to say this. We need like ConAgra or Monsanto to get behind this. Oh, yeah. Because if big ag got behind cannabis production, oh my God. those laws would change overnight. You that's, can guarantee it. That's true. As much as I, oh, I hate. <laughs> See, feels like, feels gross. It does. Uh-huh. It feels gross. I mean, Monsanto has destroyed so much, but different episodes. But, but just to just to agree with with a corporation uh-huh. that has the power, right? There's a huge money making opportunity here. Like, what if Big Pharma got on? God, as much as I hate Big Ag, I hate Big Pharma even more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What if they got on board with it and said, "Well, now we have an opiate alternative." Yep. Yep. So, which is kind of a, a capitalize people, <laughs> a funny sidebar. So I work in uh, the field of analytical science. Um, nerd. I'm, I know I'm a big nerd, but Rich I work with nerd. way bigger nerds. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's a uh, convention every year called the American society of mass spectrometry and rowdy group. Th- that is the oh. nerdiest thing I have ever heard uttered. Oh yeah. It's, it gets nuts. I wish that I could go just to see it. Um, well, you haven't gone. I am, I am, but a lowly software engineer. We're not allowed. Um, but apparently there's a, there's a company out there. I won't mention the name, uh, that just goes bananas on all the weed paraphernalia. Cause they're one of the few that actually actively get used for testing things like purity and stuff like that uh, okay. within, within this analytical space. Fair. Um, and so like, I guess there's, I, I need to try and track down a photo. I think I saw one of just like, um, you know, all these scientists and a lot of, there's a lot of business people that go to this too, just wearing like the weed, the cannabis leaves sunglasses oh, that geez. light up the whole, like, I mean, it's just <laughs> See, so kitschy. Fascinating is that cannabis is permeated. You know, Hollywood paints it as like, you know, I don't know, Cheech and Chong or, mm-hmm. you know, Beavis and Butthead, these kind of stereotypical stoners. Yeah, but the, the reality those are is very like 80s. Yeah, that's true. Kind of the of, reality is so much more nuanced. Oh, who'd have thought Hollywood paints with a broad brush? It's funny. But yeah, getting getting back to the idea of, of criminal decriminalization, I think one of the one of the arguments against decriminalization from a lot of my cohort, especially coming from the religious right scene, is like decriminalizing means in their in their words, it means endorsing it. Yeah. And that's the thing is people need to realize is just because you're not against something doesn't mean that you're for it. Sure. And and I think a lot of people need to take a moment and think about that, especially with just not necessarily drugs, but anything in their lives. If if you actively dislike something, that's fine. If you actively like something, that's cool too. But if, if someone's trying to convince you that you shouldn't dislike something and they can provide a good logical argument for why not, it doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means you have to agree that you don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's a difference. You're asking for two big leaps there. Absolutely. One is nuance. And a lot of times people will not be able to reconcile not condoning but accepting absolutely mm-hmm. which is a the, the, very psychologically tricky place to be it is acceptance versus tolerance yes the other um is 
that these narratives, there's your grad student buzzword of the hour, have been in place for almost a century now. Mm-hmm. And it takes it would take a gigantic push internally to basically admit that they've been wrong. Oh yeah. Because you can lay out all of this evidence. You can make a economic case, a public health case, a policy case. You can make a moral case to decriminalize because sure. getting people help and treatment and reducing the negative impacts of drugs is a morally better choice than locking them up and, you know, warehousing perpetuating them. the issue. Per- exactly. And spending millions and billions of dollars and just ruining lives. Okay. Cause for every time someone gets locked mm-hmm. up, their family's going to feel that too. Anyway, well, their family, the society, the local neighborhood. I mean, this has long reaching effects. It does. It does. Well, and that's, that's uh, one of the most, (laughs) it's one of the most frustrating frustrating thing. Any, anytime like we talk about uh, specifically Christianity within the States and like how I disagree with the way that the church at large has handled We should just have a whole episode about religion. Religion. That sounds like a good one for us. Could be interesting. We cover terrible things. That could be interesting. Could be interesting. Um, But it's like, like. Coming from the background of like we we should as Christians, those of us who are, believe in the redemption, the possibility for the redemption of all things. Why don't we believe that for people? Well, I mean, like our, if I if I have been personally redeemed, and I well, they need to find that redemption in Jesus in jail. Jesus didn't do that though. <laughs> He didn't point at the woman and uh, the woman who was going to be stoned for adultery, which is a topic I would love to cover at some point because it's way more nuanced. I thought that. we were talking about stoning, man. I know. Sorry. Different type of stoning. Just getting stoned. Um, <laughs> the big oh, giant rocks fruit. being thrown at you. Oh, um, that kind of stone. That kind of stoning. Um, he didn't point at her and say, now go to jail and serve out your your sentence your mandatory minimum of yeah. five years yeah for no possession. like if like why can't we why can't we fight for the re, the possibility for the redemption of people why don't we help people redeem themselves is that what you're asking yes as because that purely, would be something jesus would do i know and purely as like coming from that background of faith like my goodness how much have we missed the point oh yeah well it makes us this is what I don't know if you've seen uh, the Imitation Game, great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Alan Turing yeah. and him. Rusty, say I see you shaking your head. No, have you no, never I seen Imitation Game. Really? You love it. Oh, it's delightful. It's period piece set in World War II. Basically, it's the, where the British decoding enigma came from. Bendy Snatch Cumberwitz plays the lead. He's an alien, by the way. I'm pretty sure. I love Benadryl Cucumber. I do too. Um, he, the character, I get, I, I don't know if Alan Turing ever said this, but the character in the movie makes the point that people act violently because violence feels good mm-hmm. in a sick way. And he's right. Um, how many times have we wanted to snap and just, I, I, say, I, I don't know any emerging enterprise right now called rage rooms that you can go break stuff and see. Interestingly enough, That's- Vsauce did a bit on that where they found that people who, indulge those aggressive it's very cathartic violence. is actually not helpful though mm-hmm. really it's not i believe it well it, I, I could see it as a you get used to it kind of scenario where mm-hmm. you need it exactly that blowing off steam is not healthy when pulling that back to substance abuse same thing applies yeah the ability to you know take the edge off one evening well now i have an option i can take the edge off tomorrow too mm-hmm. and maybe maybe i need a little bit more of an edge 
off tonight. And that's where, see, this is the other thing too, is that we need a better understanding of addiction. And that's where psychological addiction comes into play rather than physical addiction. Mm -hmm. They are different. Oh, absolutely. That's why we have World of Warcraft Anonymous. That's true. You know, there are. Seriously though, yeah. Oh yeah, there there are several addiction groups that are not stemmed out of substance abuse necessarily. Mm -hmm. But it is a a lack of socialization. It's a lack of, you know, it's it's time consuming. It's potentially degrading to your life, whether Mm -hmm. it be you can lose your job over it. Uh, you could lose your friends over it. You, your house may be put into disarray or maybe you miss payments because suddenly you have an economic disadvantage. And see, that's what the DSM categorizes. And for those that don't know, the DSM is basically the psychology service manual, effectively. We call it the diagnostic service manual back in college. Anyway, that's, that's what they categorize problematic tendencies as. Is, mm-hmm. is it negatively impacting your life in a big way? Mm-hmm. Yep broad strokes, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is I, I, I don't have experience with drug and substance uh, addiction, but I also know that I have addictive personality and I've spent way too much time in my life doing stupid things. Uh, I've spent seven years dedicated to an MMO. Mm-hmm. Not wow, interestingly enough. Uh, <laughs> but I did. I spent seven years and interestingly enough, about $11,000 during those seven years. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those scenarios where I would – I would go to work just to make it through the day, get home and spend eight to 12 hours playing this game, Jeez. sleep a couple hours if I could, and then get up and go back to work and just drag all day long. Right. And I was eventually reprimanded for not performing. I was put on a performance improvement plan to, you know, ship, you know, get better or get out. And there was a part of me that said, no, nah, I don't need this job. It gives me a free time to play. And it, it, the good thing about it was I was able to self-identify and say, that's not a, that's not smart. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thought. Um, but I didn't have anyone to, you know, to really go to and say, Hey, I'm, I'm having this problem. I'm having this, this right. conflict in my life. And no one noticed that was, that was the other more interesting thing is even my friends didn't notice and didn't want to partake or didn't, I don't want to say didn't care, but it's not their life. And if Russ doesn't show up for a couple of days, eh, he's playing games. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it got so bad that I actually didn't realize it, but I hadn't gone out with friends or socialized for a little over two months mm-hmm. before someone called me and said, hey, I, I see you every day at work, but we haven't talked, like, at all. Like, we usually go to lunch or we we do stuff, and now, you're like, you're sleeping in your car at lunch, and, like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yeah. it was bad. Like, there were there was a scenario in my life that nah, I wasn't exactly happy with, but I was able to, to self-reflect and say, oh, this is going to cause some problems in mm-hmm. life. This is going to cause removal of job, potential financial crisis. You know, there, there's a downhill slope here. And so I ended up cold turkey quitting the game. Wow. Which is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it, it took the effort of uninstalling it, deleting it, and then actually emailing the company to delete my accounts to end it. Right. Because the first week I said, oh, I'll just I'll just uninstall. It's not a big deal. I can I can self manage. No, I can't. Apparently I cannot. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of those things where I, I found myself late one night. I'll just, I'll just, I just need to log mm-hmm. back on and check. I just, I'll just take a little bit just to taste. That's relapsing. It's, yeah, part, of it, the cycle. it's part of the cycle. Absolutely. And it occurred to me, no, like I can't let this happen. I, the only reason that this can happen is because the character still exists. I can still access it. Mm-hmm. And in, in a moment of my own sobriety, I emailed the company, asked them to delete my accounts and my characters, to which they responded, oh, are you sure? You put seven years into this. And I went, I don't care. Kill it. I need to. You're right. I need to. And they did. They were they were fantastic. They were very quick about it. 
the next two weeks I want to call withdrawal. Yeah. I because I it. was lamenting. Like Emotional it was, it was so bad mm-hmm. that I had just thrown away seven years of my life effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's not, you know, it's weird to draw a parallel to like substance abuse in this mm-hmm. because I don't consider that you to could, be a good part of anyone's life. You I, could substitute all of those instances of gaming with a drug. It'd be yeah. exactly the same. I don't know if people mm-hmm. ever, and like I said, I don't, I've known know a lot of people who have had substance abuse problems. So I haven't really spoken to a lot of people, but do you think that people who have had substance abuse problems, once they're starting to get clean, say, I wish I was still on the drug. I, w- I wish I hadn't. There's, there's, I wish I hadn't taken, I wish I hadn't taken four years and really enjoyed myself. You know, I want to go back mm-hmm. to that. Cause that, that like, I understand like the whole attachment to, yes, it was fun. Yes. I enjoyed it. Or at least I thought I did. Um, and I, and in this case I did, like I, I've met a lot of friends. I had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. uh, but it was definitely something eating away at my life. Mm-hmm. And for me that the next couple of weeks there, it was really, I just threw away seven years of my life. Sure. I'm a failure. And, and there was a whole lot of like depression and lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem that, that kind of came with that. And I didn't expect any of that. Like that was very uncharacteristic at the time. Uh, looking back, it's it's really interesting to, to kind of analyze and, and review this stuff because it, it is such a fascinating time in my own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's my little addiction story. Well, imagine if that. Imagine two different things there. One, if instead of a game, it was an actual sure. addictive substance, and two, you didn't have that level of analytical intellect. Like if you weren't you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. Like. I think I got lucky. And, and I mean, yeah, but this is not something, at least I don't know, that we really teach kids in school is how to identify, you know, do you have an addictive personality? Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be a huge, you know, light bulb going off. Because if you're like, oh, I, I kind of do, my, it, it runs in my family. I, you know, I, I find myself with these tendencies. I should probably never touch heroin, yep. you know? Well, it's, it's one of the reasons that I haven't really engaged in, in drinking at all. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't touched alcohol ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't smoke. I don't do illicit drugs. I don't do illicit drugs. Um, it, it's just, it's just not something that I've one wanted to, but secondly, I'm very cautious because I, I already have tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like you can't leave a bag of Oreos anywhere in my house. That's not happening. It you will. You can, but. Oh, it, it'll be gone. Mm-hmm. And, but and see, that's the thing, that level of self-awareness, that doesn't exist in a lot of people. Oh, no. And, well, and but I've learned also, right? One, right of the, one of the other things that you brought up is like somebody reached out to you. Oh, yeah. How absolutely. Many people, yeah. How many people in addictive situations, substance or otherwise, don't have that? Well, it goes Imagine back to- Imagine if you were working from home. Oh, absolutely. that. No one would have noticed, right? And that's the thing, yeah. like right now, especially is that, you know- we're coming to the end of the pandemic, hopefully. God willing. Uh, Knock on wood. Yeah. But, Looking at you, Florida. But over the last year, I highly suspect there were a lot of cases of addiction that mm-hmm. really went unnoticed because, oh, we're working from home now. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't really go see my friends. I can't really go visit with my neighbors. Or it's easy to use Corona as, as a reason not to go. Oh, absolutely. It's a great excuse. It's a great excuse. You know, I didn't wear pants for like six months. It was glorious. We're just going to let that one hang. All right. Apparently that's the thing. <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, if, if, if just as a general PSA here, mm-hmm. if you have friends that you haven't talked to in six months, reach out to them, say hi, ask yeah. them how they're doing, ask them how mm-hmm. things are. It doesn't have to be like anything more than superficial, you know, Hey, how, how was your day? How was, how is the pandemic for you? You know, but get a, get a read on them at least mm-hmm. make sure they're not yeah. burying themselves in their homes. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, we are that, we are that 
net that we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like if you didn't, again, if you didn't have even one person. Yeah, it just yeah. takes one. It yeah. only Let, takes one. Wow, love, did we really land on that? <laughs> we can't end on that. No, we, we have can't. to keep going. But love, love and belonging is just that third level. And I think it's it's one of the most foundational levels of Maslow's hierarchy. It's incredibly important. Um, and I, I would tack on to that as like, as you're calling somebody like, you you might be in that situation and don't even realize it. Absolutely. I, I've, I've had that happen kind of to me before, not necessarily with an addictive sort of thing, but it's like, you know, talking about things like depression or whatever. It's like, I'm reaching out to somebody and I like, as we get to talking, I'm like, oh, crap. It, it, it's hard to discern when you're part of something. Mm-hmm. I've learned this. It is. Wait, 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 wait. Explore, explore a little bit more. Well, just, I mean, like, um, the concept of... You, like... I've been working from home for a year. Most of us have. Yeah. Um, like I've had social circles, thankfully that I've been able to rely on. But like, if I didn't, I don't know that I would have recognized that I was in a bad place mm. had I not been. So, but that chance to reach out that just that interaction can start to, uh, you know, open, open up doors, I guess, in your mind is for yeah. lack of a better phrase right now um, of just like, getting that self self realization, self actualization going again. Um, well, and like I said, I, I feel that you, you as a person, because the changes are your own choice, because what happens in your life is normal to you. You don't notice the differences day to day. Your friends true. will, your friends are going to notice a change in behavior, a change mm-hmm. in pattern, a change in, you know, your general routine. And it was interesting because we did do the whole Corona like quarantine thing. And I, I shut myself off from everyone. Mm-hmm. I actually loved it. I cleaned the house. It was glorious. <laughs> uh, but when I, when I did start wanting to reconnect with people, we didn't have the same opportunity that we did previously. Uh, and it was one of the things that we actually started doing. Uh, we set up a discord room and we started doing random gaming and mm-hmm. random chatting. And it was interesting because there were a few people that did come back online that I was like, you know, you, your online personality is much different than your real personality, but I want to make sure this isn't like a quarantine issue either. And so I asked just a few top level questions of how are things? How's the family? You guys need anything? And a few of them actually reached out kind of on the side and said, yeah, no, I, it, do you mind listening? Cause I'm having a problem here. Mm-hmm. You know, you seem to be handling this really well, me being the person that they were talking to. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I've lived alone. I, I don't I'm go out hermit. if I don't have to, I'm a hermit. I, yeah. I embrace this lifestyle. This is what I've been doing. But I also, I have my ways of reaching out for social reasons, right? This person was very social butterfly, very went to people's houses, went out to events, like was not home most nights of the week. Mm -hmm. Suddenly is at home every night of the week and is freaking out. It's hard. It is. And I was, I was lucky enough and, uh, you know, they trusted me with the conversation and I was able to listen and provide some of my own insight in regards to, well, this is how I handle my own solitude effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, this has helped me previously because it, it's kind of a thing where you, unfortunately, most people who are that outgoing kind of socializing person don't have the experience of being shut in a, a room for right. weeks on end. Mm-hmm. And I did it voluntarily, but I also learned a lot and I realized there were some drawbacks and there were things that I should have been doing to help keep a, a good mental health right. and, and make sure that what I was doing was still appropriate. And I was able to, to kind of provide that information and say, here's, here's what I, my experiences were. Here's what I did. You know, mileage may vary for you, but look into these kinds of things. 
And, mm-hmm. I, and I felt that was very helpful. And, and they came back a couple months later and, and it expressed, you know, massive gratitude for being able to, to provide that insight. And I felt very warm and fuzzy about that. Uh, but it, it's, like I said, reach out to people. Like mm-hmm. don't, don't assume that everything is okay, especially if they're acting weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a key point. Um, so I feel like this is kind of a, a good place to wrap up on. We've circled the the topic a number of times tonight, but the decriminalization, I guess any closing words from y'all? Make it happen, Biden. Drugs are bad. That's a very broad brush, yeah. but... If we are not endorsing listening. drugs, but yes, let's decriminalize them so we can help people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Russ just saying drugs are bad. It's like Nancy Reagan, just say no. Not that easy. Oh, that's the other thing. Ooh. Any kids who are listening, peer pressure is not what they tell you it is in school. Nope. No. The, the, <laughs> the weird stoner kids are not going to try to like... <laughs> You, get, you want you want some weed? You want some weed? No, no, those, that's not those, how those it guys happens. are the most like selfish. Yeah, no one's gonna give you drugs. <laughs> I remember a trust like, my drug. A, when, mine. when we <laughs> first got legalized, <laughs> when we first got legalized here in Washington, I remember some posts going around on Facebook like, "Be sure to check your kids' candy because it might be weed." I'm like, <laughs> really? That stuff's ridiculously expensive. Ain't nobody just handing that out for no, free. No. No, no, the peer no. pressure is, is you going to go buy them weed and then you getting in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. I, among other different ways. Okay. Yeah. You guys didn't experience that? No. no. Okay. Just me. <laughs> Rural Idaho, people. I guess, yeah. Well, when, when your drug dealer is one of your teachers, it makes it easier. But well, that's a whole, that's a whole new episode. Yeah. Uh, so thanks anyways. for listening, I guess. <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln. Listen and drink responsibly. Lincoln responsibly. I'm not even the one drinking tonight. Or whatever you're Feel free to, uh, we would love to hear from all of you either through whatever app you listen to podcasts on or at our website, scotchandsocialism.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, Instagram. with the handle Scotch Socialism. Uh, no and in that particular one. And we hope to hear from you soon. <laughs>